Today I'll be discussing an appalling individual from India, Akuyadav. He gained notoriety in India due to his horrific actions against members of the Dalit community who are considered the lowest caste in India's caste system. Yadav's crimes were so heinous that they even inspired a Netflix documentary series, which left me and my team deeply shocked, to say the least. What happened to this man in the end is even more shocking, so please stay with me until the very end. Yadav's case sheds light on the larger issue of caste-based violence and the significant challenges that marginalized communities face when seeking justice in India. Today, let's explore the unsettling story of Aku Yadav. People are unsure how this individual, known as Bharat Kalicharan Yadav, but often referred to as Aku, became the notorious figure he is known to be. He was the son of a prosperous cattle owner in the region. Due to his family's relative affluence, Aku occupied a higher caste position than many in his area, particularly the impoverished Dalits who occupy the lowest rung of the caste system. During his school days, Aku appeared to excel. He achieved good grades, participated in extracurricular activities, and enjoyed popularity due to his handsome appearance. However, despite his apparent success, Aku took a troubling path. He dropped out of school after the seventh grade and began engaging in gambling with his friends. Not only that, but he also frequently stole from local merchants and other farmers for his own amusement. After Aku's father passed away, the situation deteriorated for him and his family. Their once considerable wealth disappeared almost overnight. Aku's six older sisters were married off, and his other six brothers either worked elsewhere or turned to a life of crime. As the youngest sibling left behind, Aku began following in the footsteps of his criminal brothers, involving himself in gambling, theft, and extortion from the already struggling local community. This marked the beginning of a reign of terror. Initially, Aku and his gang resorted to blatant extortion for money. The residents of Kasturban Nagar were primarily Dalits who occupied the lowest social rung in the India's caste system. In this caste hierarchy, Dalits were historically excluded and considered to be beyond divine creation, often labeled as haram or to be avoided. These people lived in poverty, working as low-income farmers or laborers. Aku's gang would target them, extorting money and using weapons to intimidate them into compliance. One frequent target of Aku's theft was Prativa Urkud's shop, even in broad daylight. Pratiba displayed her purchased goods in front of her modest home to avoid overcrowding inside. However, Aku would regularly take her items to sell for his own profit or consumption. The gang would sometimes pretend to purchase her goods, promising payment that never materialized. Frustrated and powerless, Pratiba saw her family's source of income continually taken away by these armed thugs. The peak of Aku's criminal activities took a darker turn. 
According to Aku's former friend, Vilas Band, there was an incident where the gang intended to extort money from a couple. However, upon arriving, it became clear that Aku had different intentions upon seeing the girl. Despite the man's struggles, Aku sexually assaulted the girl right in front of him and then left. Aku was reported and subsequently arrested in 1991 on charges of theft and molestation. Even a short stint in jail didn't prompt Aku to reform and turn his life around. Instead, he continued to commit increasingly heinous crimes, particularly sexual assaults. Aku had a warped perspective, viewing Dalit women as mere objects for his amusement. Day by day, reports of women and young girls assaulted by Aku and his gang continued to accumulate with no end in sight. It seemed that he had no regard for the age or marital status of his victims. Whether they were young girls or middle-aged women, unmarried or already married, and even pregnant, he and his gang would attack them whenever they pleased. In Kasturba Nagar, a pervasive darkness enveloped the community. It felt as if they were trapped in a living nightmare under the tyranny of these thugs. Witnessing women helplessly assaulted on the roadside left lasting trauma, and children were scarred by the sight of their mother's dignity being forcefully stripped away. Parents experienced unimaginable anguish as they watched their daughters being forcibly taken away by Aku's gang, no matter how fiercely they resisted. The number of victims subjected to Aku's gang continued to rise, with different sources reporting varying counts. It is known that the number of victims were at least 40, and the youngest was only 10 years old. Even the neighbors couldn't help but fear for the safety of their young daughters. Women felt afraid to leave their homes, even during daylight hours. The attacks had become so frequent that women had to come up with a code name for a coup and hide in each other's houses to avoid being caught by the gang. Most children couldn't attend school because their parents were worried about their safety. An unspoken rule emerged, never venture outside after 6 p.m., and doors and windows remained locked all night. Husbands and fathers felt helpless, unable to protect their wives and children, which led some to drown their sorrows in alcohol. For Dalits, committing a crime to defend themselves carried severe consequences, especially considering their lower caste status. The lower your caste, the harsher the punishment, even for minor offenses. These people didn't possess much, but the gangs were armed with knives, matchets, and even firearms. This vulnerability made them easy targets for the gang, and they rarely caused trouble for those in higher castes. For those curious about individuals who did muster the strength to stand up for their community, Ashabagat was one of the first such individuals. She was known as a fearless woman who didn't hesitate to confront Aku and his gang with shouts and threats whenever they caused trouble. Witnessing the community's misery, she did her best to support them. Asha would stand up for victims, provide food for those in need, all while not being particularly wealthy herself. Asha recognized the urgency of stopping Aku and his gang. She organized meetings with the men in the community to discuss plans. She believed it was a now or never situation, and they had to eliminate Aku to end this oppressive reign. 
However, their plan failed and the night it was set in motion. Aku managed to escape after a blow to the head caused a hemorrhage. He was saved by his best friend named Avinash Tiwari, who donated blood as Aku was losing too much due to his injuries. Following the failed attempt on his life, Aku became increasingly paranoid. He wasn't just concerned about women seeking revenge. He believed the real threat came from the men plotting against him. Consequently, he always traveled with five to six of his associates, serving as backup and security in case of another attack. If he spotted boys gathering, he assumed they were conspiring against him and would chase them away to disperse them. This growing paranoia extended to Avinash, the man who had previously saved Aku's life. While Avinash was indeed a friend of Aku, he couldn't be compared to Aku's criminal tendencies. In the neighborhood, Avinash was known for his friendly and amiable nature, getting along with everyone. People might have questioned his choice of friends, but they never considered him a member of Aku's gang. Avinash maintained friendly relations with both gang members and the community, a fact that didn't sit well with Aku. Aku disapproved of Avinash associating with people he regarded as his enemies. Avinash often visited Asha's house along with other neighbors. One day, Aku confronted him about spending time with Asha. Avinash, failing to comprehend Aku's reasoning, explained that Asha was his friend, just as Aku was. Unhappy with this response, Aku and Avinash engaged in an argument that swiftly escalated into a physical confrontation. Aku brandished a knife he had brought from his house and, in front of onlookers, stabbed Avinash, leading him bleed to death in the middle of the road. Asha rushed out when she heard the commotion and confronted Aku for his actions. Aku apparently didn't like this and threatened to come for her next time. He was arrested but quickly released from jail after two years with no signs of remorse. Instead, he plotted to attack Asha. Upon his release, Aku gathered his gang and headed to Asha's house. That night, Asha's family was celebrating applying henna when they heard a knock on the door. Thinking it was a friend of her daughter, Asha opened the door, only to be brutally assaulted by Aku and his gang. The attack was horrifyingly brutal, and they showed no mercy, even in the face of the daughter's tears and pleas for her mother's life. Asha was beheaded. Her breasts were mutilated, her private parts were disfigured, and her face was grotesquely disfigured. Aku's brutality knew no bounds, and his actions were horrifying. It appeared that there was no law to protect the Dalits. For instance, Aku and his gang brutally assaulted a woman named Kama just 10 days after she had given birth. The trauma of the assault drove Kama to take her own life she set herself on fire. You might wonder why they didn't fight back or report to the police. They did report, but Aku never stayed in jail for long. Survivors claim that the police didn't take their report seriously and instead accused the women of having affairs with Aku or engaging in sex work for money. It was even rumored that some police officers would reveal the identities of those who reported Aku, leading to further harassment when he was released. 
Throughout his life, Aku had been arrested at least 14 times. The police worked in cahoots with Aku, shielding and supporting him in exchange for bribes and drinks. In one appalling case, a woman reported being sexually assaulted by Aku and his associates, only for the police to subject her to the same abuse. At this point, the Dalits of Kasturba Nagar felt hopeless. However, there was one brave individual who would become the catalyst for ending Aku's reign of terror. Her name was Usha Narayan, a hotel management student who had endured Aku's lewd comments because of her chosen field of study. Usha learned that a 13-year-old girl had been assaulted by Aku's gang, leaving her traumatized. When Usha encouraged the girl to report the incident, the girl expressed fear that Aku would retaliate. In frustration, Usha decided to file a report on the girl's behalf. Unfortunately, the police, who were biased in favor of Aku, informed him about Usha's report. Around 40 men armed with weapons came to Usha's house, demanding she come out. They threatened her with gang assault, acid attacks, and a fate similar to Asha's. Terrified neighbors watched from their homes, unsure of what to do. Usha instructed her family to escape while she decided to confront the gang. She dragged a gas cylinder to the door and cut the tube, causing gas to fill the air. Usha boldly challenged the gang, daring them to enter because she would ignite a match and explode them all. Detecting the gas, the gang hesitated, unsure if she was bluffing or if they had the courage to test her resolve. Upon hearing Usha's brave attempt to sacrifice herself to thwart the gang and seeing their hesitation, the neighborhood residents came to a realization. These men, whom they had feared so much, were nothing more than timid individuals armed with weapons. They trembled in the face of death. Emboldened by this insight, the residents began to emerge one by one, arming themselves with weapons and rocks. Panic soon overtook the gang as they were pursued by the enraged mob. The gang members scattered and hid, while the determined neighbors embarked on a mission to apprehend them in the following days. Aku, sensing that he was no longer safe, voluntarily surrendered to the police for his own protection. It was during this time that people became aware of his impending court appearance. Reports indicate that on August 7, 2004, approximately 500 people gathered in protest. In response, Aku issued a threat, vowing to teach every woman in the slum a lesson upon his release. Even in the presence of hundreds of people willing to harm him, he continued to exhibit arrogance. Little did he know that his arrogance would soon lead to his downfall. On August 13, 2004, the day of Aku's trial arrived. The residents of Kasturba Nagar had learned from a decade of terror that Aku was unlikely to remain in jail for long. In the nights leading up to the trial, they convened as a united group to discuss a plan to rid themselves of Aku. They were determined to end the suffering of their children and grandchildren at the hands of unemployed gangsters and prevent another innocent life from being brutally taken. As the trial date approached, the people of Kasturba Nagar assembled in front of the Nagpur District Court. 
a coup, handcuffed and accompanied by another inmate named Ram Gadam, stepped out of the police car. More than a hundred men and women surrounded the vehicle, eagerly waiting the arrival of the man they had long sought justice against. He stood there arrogantly, his gaze locking onto one of his victim's friends, warning her that he would settle the score once he got out. Those words transformed the fear and doubt of the gathered residents into uncontrollable rage. The crowd began to chase him, and the police struggled to contain him, eventually fleeing themselves. Women in the crowd even threw chili powder to blind Aku as he entered the courthouse. Although the police managed to lead Aku into a trial room and lock the door, the mob forcibly broke through and surrounded him. They brandished sharp and blunt weapons, ready to deliver justice. Aku was subjected to a brutal attack by the mob, stabbed and pelted with stones. It's reported that his victims took turns stabbing him as he pleaded for forgiveness. Ram, who was handcuffed to him, could only curl up and protect his own hand. Whenever Aku shielded his face, Ram's hand was yanked, forcing him to pull it away quickly to avoid injury. Aku's genitals were severed, and furniture was used to bludgeon him. In just 15 minutes, Aku met his end in a pool of his own blood. Aku Yadav's assassination received widespread media coverage. Initially, five women were arrested, but they were eventually released due to protests by all the women in Kasturba Nagar, who demanded that the police arrest all of them for the crime. The community rallied together in support of those who had been arrested, demonstrating unity in their efforts. Certain politicians seized upon the incident for political gain. Despite years of neglect, the slum area had been largely ignored by the government. Even today, educated individuals, including Yadav's lawyer and journalists, dismiss the desperation of the people of Kasturba Nagar. They view it as a mere gang war among residents and find it inconceivable that working-class Dalit women could pick up weapons and engage in such brutal actions. In the end, all 21 suspects in the death of Aku Yadav were released due to a lack of evidence. The fact-finding committee emphasized that the police had failed to provide the necessary protection to the people. They clarified that this wasn't a gang war or an act of an extremist group. Rather, it was an act of justice, compelled by the need to secure their lives in the face of a legal system that had repeatedly let them down. It is crucial to underline that murder can never be justified. However, how long should hundreds of people and their children endure the suspected criminal activities of a man while the police turned a blind eye? How long should the residents of Kasturba Nagar suffer theft, assault, and oppression only to have their reports dismissed by the authorities? If the authorities had taken action sooner, perhaps the people of Kasturba Nagar wouldn't have felt compelled to take matters into their own hands. This isn't just about Akuyadav. His name need not be given any more power. This is the story of the oppressed, those failed and ignored by the system. It's a story of unity and resilience after years of desperate pleas to those who should have protected them. This is the story of the people of Kasturba Nagar. That's all for today. 
Thanks for watching.